Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Man, great to see you today on this holiday weekend. I'm so glad that, uh, that you have made the decision to be in the house of the Lord. We are, are so thankful for those that have paid the price so that we can be here. And, uh, and what, a, what a beautiful weekend we had. As soon as I saw the forecast, I was like, oh, people are going to be out. People are going to be enjoying that weather. But I'm glad you've made a priority to be here. I hope to see you tonight for Vision Sunday. Genuinely, our team has been working to, to have this evening be a, bit, a, a night where, um, you know when Apple releases a new product, they're like, it's the iPhone 38, you know, and, and people are all like, it takes even better pictures, and they're so excited, and they have this big reveal of what's, what's coming up and what to expect. We want our Vision Sundays to be a time where you can come and get a sneak preview of what we feel God is leading our church. You get to have that, that insider's look at what's going to be happening, and everyone is invited. There's going to be things for the membership to be voting on and things of that nature and a report that's received, but this is going to be an opportunity for us to cast vision for what we see ahead for our church, and we want you to be there tonight. We want you to, to be on the, on, the, on the front edge of what's, what's going on, so be there tonight at 6 o'clock. Um, I like that. Woo! Yeah. Um, so we also want, as, an, as a separate aside, I want you to be keeping Pastor Bruce in your prayers. Pastor Bruce contacted me last week, and his daughter passed away um, after a long battle, battle with cancer. Um, she's on the East Coast, and we ask that you just be praying for Pastor Bruce and the Manning family as they go through this time. So um, please continue to keep him in your prayers. Right now, let's dig into the Word. We're Closing out our, our study in the book of James. We're in James chapter 5. So if you'll open your Bibles to James chapter 5. I am really excited to jump next week into a new series we've, we've entitled God of the Underdogs. And we're going to be going into stories of God using people that you wouldn't expect, people you wouldn't anticipate for his purposes and how he can use us. And so um, make sure you hear next week as we kick off this new series, God of the Underdogs. But today we're wrapping up the book of James. So um, James chapter 5. Today my goal is for this to be a brief message. Um, and, and I know normally that draws laughs, but uh, I, I genuinely am going to make an effort at this because I, I believe that God is going to do some profound and some supernatural and some powerful things here around these altars today. Um, we intentionally combined our Kingdom Builders offering with our regular offering. And as a church then, today at the end of the service, we're going to be responding to these altars. We're going to be coming forward. And I'm going to do my best to honor your schedules. And we have another service that follows this, I realize. But if you are under some sort of time constraint and just have to get out the doors, I ask you to do so at the end of the service very respectfully and with sensitivity to what God is going to be doing. Um, but I encourage you, if it's something where, if it's not something you have to be at, Back burner it and put God at the front burner. Take a few minutes and tarry today. Take a few minutes and wait on God with us today. Sometimes, you know, I can, when I'm in just going through a regular day and if I ha hit a 15 minute hurdle, there's just something that takes 15 minutes longer than it normally does. It doesn't just like throw everything into chaos. I'm not that tightly regimented. But sometimes if church goes 10 minutes over, we're like, we got to get out of here. But let's wait on God today. Let's give him that extra time. Can we do that, church? Amen. All right. So um, something we've discovered as we've gone through James is that James covers a whole lot of information, doesn't he? 
The guy, the guy covers a lot of information. He, he's heavily influenced by the wisdom literature, especially of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. So he has a lot of, of those short illustrations or those one-liners uh, one that he hits you with. And, and, um, and, and he kind of copies that, that wisdom literature. He jumps around a lot from topic to topic and about things he thinks are important. He's writing a letter, and they didn't have even the Pony Express back then. So if you wrote a letter, you were trying to get across as much information as you could, right? Um, these people need to hear what you're going to say. You can't just call them or FaceTime them. You need to get all this information over to them. And so he was writing everything that came to mind. It's like back in the day if you were writing a letter to you know, your kid that was in college, and you're like, hey, listen, you need, to, you need to be getting to bed on time. You need to not procrastinate on, on your studies. Make sure you're eating le your leafy greens. You know, you're kind of bullet pointing all these important things they're doing at school. He's like, church, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing this. He's listing off all this stuff. So we've only been able to focus on uh, some of the, the, the principal points that he made as we went through the book of James. And as I looked at chapter 5, again, kind of in the same way, he touches on a, a number of topics. And I was like, there's no way in one Sunday I'm going to preach on all of these things. So... We're going to look specifically today at verses 13 through 18. So if you have your app out, if you have your Bible out, let's look at verses 13 through 18. And here's what James says. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was, a, what, Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, None fell for three and a half years. He obviously didn't live in Oregon, apparently. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. So over the last four weeks, we've seen James talk about a number of topics, as we said. He's talked about suffering. We've talked about trials. We've talked about our deeds and our faith. We've talked about favoritism. Uh, we've talked about controlling the tongue. We've talked about conflict. But James, the book of James opens with, and it actually closes with, a connective tissue, a theme that runs through it, and that is the topic of prayer. In chapter 1, James opens by saying, if you need wisdom, you're supposed to ask of God, and he will give you wisdom. And, 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 and so he concludes then in chapter 5 with this extended section on the power that there is in prayer. Now, um, let me just preempt this by saying that a message on prayer typically, typically doesn't excite a lot of people. They're like, yes, a prayer message. Here we go. Because to be honest, I, I count myself in this category as well, uh, a low-grade sense of guilt kind of sets in when we talk about prayer. It's kind of like when you go to the dentist and the hygienist is like, have you been flossing? And you're like, I, I'm like, I have indeed flossed. Yes. You know, you have that guilt of, I need to be doing this more. I, I, have, that, I have that set in. Um, but, but we know it's something we should do, but we don't feel like we do it as often as we should. I just want to tell you that this right now, this morning, is a guilt-free zone, okay? You aren't going to be guilted about, about your prayer life, but rather my hope and my prayer is, my prayer is, um, that from this time together, you don't feel, walk away feeling guilty, but you feel inspired. You feel inspired to, to increase to a higher level of prayer life because of the power that it yields. 
Um, a Gallup poll recently done, studied, found that 9 out of 10 Americans say that they pray regularly. 9 out of 10. It's probably the same people that say they floss to their, to their hygienist. But, uh, but 9 out of 10 people say they, they, pray, they pray regularly. And I think there's just something hardwired into us that desires to communicate and to have relationship with our Creator. To a higher power, to something more, because we know that... Nine out of ten Americans don't all say that they're believers in Jesus, but yet they say they pray. So there's a desire to, to know God and to be known by him. And so, and, and as we read the gospel accounts, as we go through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell the story of Jesus, um, we see the priority that Jesus puts on prayer. This, is, this has always been something that's fascinated me. When I read the story of Jesus, often I'm like, why is Jesus needing to pray? Isn't he kind of God? Doesn't he like part of the tri- Trinity? He knows God pretty well, right? Like why, why is Jesus needing to spend so much time in prayer? But, but in John 17, 21, Jesus even prays. He says, Father, let them, uh, let, let, them be, let my disciples be one as you and I are one. He even affirms there that he and the Father are one. So how does this work? But my feeling is, what I've come to the conclusion is that the more we know God, the more we desire that conversation. The deeper the relationship, the more we desire the intimacy of that dialogue. Jesus knew the Father more than anyone else, and so all the more did he desire that relationship and communication with the Father. When I am traveling, or Hosanna is traveling, um, I talk to her on the phone constantly, because I miss her. And she's like, why are you calling me again? I text, I call, I keep that communication going until we see each other face to face again because I'm excited to, to, to reconnect and I miss her and I want to have that connection. In the same way, uh, the closer we are to God, that line of communication becomes all the more important. The deeper the relationship, the, the more we desire the communion. And so, and so that's why we see Jesus in this constant relationship, this, this connection in, in prayer with the Father. And do you know the one thing that the disciples asked Jesus how to do? They didn't ask Jesus how to make more fish and chips. They didn't ask Jesus how he walked on water. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. I would have been kind of like, how did you do the water thing? Peter kind of did it. How, How do we do this? But rather they asked, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And my feeling is they saw the relationship Jesus had with the Father, and it was different than the way they saw anyone else pray. My feeling is they saw the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they saw the, the, the rabbis in the temple, and, in, and, and they, they, they observed their, their over-the-top uh, pompous prayers in the synagogues, and they saw, then they saw the authenticity of Jesus as he was with the Father. They saw the intimacy he had with God, and they're like, we want that. We want that. We don't need the big words and the flowery language. We want to be able to to commune with God like you do. And so James then talks to us about what prayer, what the power in prayer can be, what that looks like. And so he asks some rhetorical questions. He asks some rhetorical questions then um, about circumstances in which we can invite in the power that there is in prayer. There is power in prayer. And so he starts with this first question. He says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. 
The commonality of the human condition is that we all will experience suffering and hardship. It doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates, the most wealthy person in the world, whoever it may be. It doesn't matter if you're the most educated person in the world. It doesn't matter if you're the most undereducated person in the world. We all will deal with difficulties. We will all dis deal with disappointment, heartache, loss, sickness. We all will go through these. They're great equalizers. Not one of us will escape life without walking through these. And Jesus doesn't guarantee us as Christians a life without pain or difficulty. As a matter of fact, he kind of guaranteed it, which is a real nice guarantee, right? He said, he said uh, in John 16, 33, here on earth you will have many troubles, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And so, and so we can pray with confidence because we pray to the one who has overcome. Amen, church? Amen. Yes, we pray to the one who has overcome. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. We have such a privilege of prayer. It's a place we can go to find God anytime, in any situation, with whatever is on our hearts. God cares about your struggles. He cares about what's burdening you today. God cares about what's been weighing on your heart this week and what you've carried into this room right now. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that it's not in God's character to be unconcerned for you. The one who paid the greatest price for you cares for every little detail of your life. If he was willing to pay the greatest price, he cares for every little detail. The Bible says if a sparrow falls out of the sky, God knows about it. How much more worth everything to him are you than a little sparrow? He cares. The simplest way to put this quote to, that, that Martin Lloyd-Jones says is this. If it matters to you, then it matters to God. If it matters to you, if it's a burden you've been carrying, it matters to God. Next, James asks this question. He says, are any of you happy? Then you should sing praises. We should sing praises. We are to pray and we're to sing and to worship when we have victories. The word happy that James uses here is a different word than the joy word that we talk about before where despite our circumstances, we're to have a joyful outlook. Remember when we started this study through James, he said, he said uh, uh, all believers are to count it all joy when you go through difficulty. And we're like, how do we do that? That's a different word. Joy and this word happy are two different things. Joy is a, a, is a st status of our soul, no matter the circumstance. But happiness, this is actually a circumstantial-based feeling, an, an emotion. So when we ex experience success, when we receive God's blessing, when we experience miracles, when these things happen, we are called to respond with worship and thanks. When we feel that happy feeling, that bubbly feeling inside us, we're to respond with it. We're not supposed to tamp it down and go, I'm supposed to be a real serious Christian. This isn't good. But we're supposed to burst forth with worship and praise, thanking our God, exalting him. You see, Psalm 96, 1 through 2, David says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. We are called to do this. It's so important to remember what God has done. Because when we live without, without thanksgiving, it can lead to spiritual indifference. When we live without thanksgiving and recognizing the blessing of God, we can become indifferent to what God has done. And our praise then reminds us of what God has done, but then it also edifies and encourages those around us. 
Those that are going through the battle right now, those that are in the thick of it, they can see someone who is being victorious, that God's blessing is on them, and say, victory is around the corner. God blesses his children. Next, James asks, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. So these verses are an instruction manual on how a Bible-believing church responds to sickness. What are we supposed to do for the sick? The answer is simple and profound. It's straightforward right here. He says, we're to call the elders and the leaders of the church to pray over you. And we're to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, anointing oil sounds kind of odd. But let me tell you, it's not voodoo, it's not witchcraft. It's not like, you know, you're going and getting tears from some sort of unicorn or something like that. That's not what it's about. See, in the first century, olive oil was medicinal. It's how they treated wounds. And so uh, to, to the church that he was writing about, he was saying treat the wounds because there's actually two different words that are used for anoint in the Bible. The first anoint that's used is, is in terms of um, being dedicated and for religious purposes. We see David anointed, right? But there's a second term for anointing, and that is to, to, to dress a wounds for healing. This is the same anoint that's used by Jesus when uh, the Good Samaritan helps that, that man that was uh, on the edge of death in Jesus' story. And so these two different words are used, and the word James uses is actually for dressing a wound. However, this oil is symbolic. The reason we anoint with oil is not to dress the wound, but it's symbolic, because the oil, when there's an anointing over David, it's symbolic of the presence of God. And so the oil anointing is a symbolism of the presence of God being on you as we pray for you. And we're to, we're to anoint you with oil and, and in the name of the Lord. And then the Bible says, and the Bible promises, that the Lord will raise you up. Finally, James says that when we're to, we're to pray, and this is an odd one. This one caught me off guard and as I was studying. I was like, I can't believe I haven't considered this. He says then, we're to pray when we have sin. And this is a really unique circumstance that he talks about. Notice at the last part of verse 15 and then into 16, he says, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, as we just talked about. And then he says, and then the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. He's combined these two thoughts. Isn't that unique? He says, and if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. These are intertwined with each other. He didn't leave one thought and jump to the other. He said, when we pray for healing, we also need to pray for the repentance of sin. When sin is removed, he says, he follows it up here with this thought. He says, then, then you may be healed. Do you see the relationship that James paints here between the physical and the spiritual? They are so closely connected. They're so closely connected. Um, something that we often lose sight of because what we can see and what we can touch and what, what our senses experience is the physical realm, right? We can smell, taste, touch, feel, all these things, see the physical. But we are not bodies that have a soul. We are souls that have a body. See, long after this body is dead and gone and buried in the ground, our souls live on. 
God created the soul. And so, so, but yet, he put us together. We are the temple, the Bible says, of the Holy Spirit, and, and he dwells within us. And so we are this soul with the Holy Spirit living in us in this body. But when we let sin come in, this, these two things begin to corrode, and sin begins to pull it apart. And so the Greek construction that, that James uses here of the word if is actually a clause suggesting that sin can actually be a contributing factor in sickness. Now, I, I think it's very important here to clarify, because I've also heard this abused on the other side where I've heard it preached, that if you're sick, it's because of sin. Yes, sin can cause sickness, but not all sickness is due to sin. I mean, ultimately, we deal with sickness because of sin's effect in the world, but it's not just because we have sin in our life, but we need to also recognize that, 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 sin is, or that, that our sickness is not just a karmic connection to, to, to sin. It's not like, I did this sin, so God struck me with this, so I do this sin, and I get struck with this kind of thing. There's not that relationship. We need to understand that. But however, sin can be attributed to sickness in the body. In King David, I've quoted several psalms here, King David committed some heinous sin. Last Sunday, Hosanna preached uh, and talked about, about David and, and his having uh, Uriah sent to the front lines so, so he would die so he could marry his wife that he had had an affair with. So he's, he's committed adultery, and then on top of it, he's committed essentially murder, secondhand, and he's under the punishment of God, and this sin is weighing on him. He's committed these heinous crimes. And look what David writes as he's going through this pain of concealing sin, holding sin in. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So closely connected here to what James was talking about, wasn't it? So there are times, yes, where our iniquity, our sin, can waste us away, where we feel the brokenness, where God's hand is heavy upon us to draw us back to himself, to draw us to repentance. You see, we can fool ourselves into thinking sin is just compartmentalized, right? This is just for this part of my life, but I can live a really strong spiritual life over here and do great things over here. But sin is insidious. It gets throughout the whole body. It, 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 it breaks us down completely from, from, from our, our spirit to our body all the way through. It's holistic in that way, in the bad way. Sin breaks us down completely. Uh, my neighbor is younger than me which, as I, I continue to age, and they continue to get younger than me, but uh, he's a guy that's in good shape. He's a, he's a construction worker. And the other day, I found out that he went to the hospital. I was like, what? What caused him to go to the hospital? What's going on? So I contacted him, and he said, my knee is infected. I bent down the other day, and all of a sudden, just in a moment, I was like, ah, my knee! And, uh, and it turned out his bursa sac in his knee somehow got infected. And it hurt like crazy, and so he actually went to the emergency room, and he went to the one he could get into fastest. He was like, I'm not going to mess around with this. This hurts really bad. And it turns out that this bursa sac infection is very, very serious. You see, it turned into septic staph infection. And when I called him, he said, he wasn't on the phone long, he said, I am burning up with a fever. I feel awful right now. You see, that infection that would just be in the knee, you think, let's just treat the knee, let's just deal with that, is actually literally a life-threatening event. 
because the infection infects the whole body. His body began to sweat and break down, and they, they actually moved him hospitals to, to increase his care. They were so concerned for him. And so, in the same way, sin doesn't affect just one little part of the body. Sin doesn't affect just one little part of your heart or your soul, but it can tear apart the entirety of your person. That's Satan's goal is what, what for sin to do. It's, to, it's to, to be terminal. It's to destroy your soul. And so James says, when we come for healing, healing for our soul from sin needs to be alongside that. Healing for our broken souls needs to be alongside that. We need to repent, and then in that we can receive healing.